everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show Maniac. Today we'll be covering the fifth and sixth episode from Maniac titled Exactly Like You in Larger Structural Issues. <laughs> Lots of larger structural issues. Yeah, there are. <laughs> I'm so digging this show right now. Uh-huh. It's cool. I dig it. Yeah, it's, it's so it good. It feels very different from the other stuff we watch, but yeah, I'm really, really into it, so. Yeah, it's, 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 I don't know. I, we'll just, we'll just get into it. Let's just jump into our top five and start talking about it, because we're both really digging it. Again, like Sean said, we are going to talk about both fifth and sixth episodes, so if you haven't watched both of them, uh, you have been warned, so we're going to, we're going to start with that. Um, so I'll, I'll jump in with my Number five, it's kind of, kind of short, but what I, I really liked about like the first episode, it was the uh, fifth episode, um, was the analysis part. I really liked the part where, uh, Dr. Mantle Ray was, um, and I know he sat with Annie first, that analysis kind of breakdown of, of what he did, like talking, wanting to hear what her experiences were, her honest experiences were, um, under the B drug. And I really liked that because I'm like wouldn't it be cool to like have that like if you want to call it analysis or whatever it was that they were doing um done for you so you can kind of like see everything that's wrong with you oh yeah get a nice printout you're like oh man I knew I had half these things that's what's wrong with me you know like how much time would that save and then it's like you know where to focus like your efforts you know what what, what were your thoughts on that Uh, I thought that'd be cool I think that's it kind of uh this is a little bit more morbid maybe but like what you talked about kind of pointed me um or reminded me of a comic I read called Nailbiter Mm -hmm. and so like you talk about this like it's just like this full like deep scan of your personality it's like oh well you have you know, bipolarism, you have, uh, you know, uh, what was some things like uh, multiple personality disorder, you know, you're depressed, all these kinds of things. <laughs> but it'd be interesting, like if you went into this experiment and and so let me back up. So Nailbiter is a comic about a serial killer who like this town like creates serial killers and some guy invents a, uh, like a thing that will scan a person and be like, oh, well, you have the serial killer gene. And as they're going through all these people, when he scans one of the serial killers, he doesn't have the serial killer gene. Oh. So the whole time he's like, oh, wait, I have, I'm a serial killer because of this town. It's like, no, it's just you. And so I, <laughs> I feel like you'd come into this, you'd be like, oh, I bet I have like all these weird, like, you know, deep medical conditions. And they scan you like, no, you're good. You're just, you know, kind of, you know, whiny. <laughs> That's about it. It's all we got. <laughs> like, no, there's got to be something wrong with me. Yeah. I know it. <laughs> like, please, something be wrong. This can't just be me. I know. I know. I thought I just found that really interesting. I'm like, because, I mean, we all kind of probably have our issues, right? So yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it'd just be kind of interesting to kind of have it just all laid out and be like, okay, that's what's wrong with me. And, and I'm going to work on that. or I'm going to see someone about yeah, that. For sure. I can, you know, try to get some treatment for that. And I wondered about it. So I did a little um, digging and found out there is an actual type of test that kind of does do something as close to this as possible without an actual smart computer, like, you know, analyzing you and reading out all of these things. It's called the, the Millen clinical multiaxial inventory fourth edition MCMI. <laughs> Sounds like a role playing game. I know. It's like, what is that? It's, it's I like 3.5 edition personally. Exactly. There, there are other levels apparently there's, but this one was the fourth edition that I kept seeing pop up, but it's MCMI dash four in the Roman uh, numeral four um, says it's the most recent edition of the Millen Clinical Multiaxial Inventory. I'm glad I haven't had too much to drink because I'd never <laughs> get that out. But it's, the MCMI is a psychological assessment tool intended to provide information on personality traits and psychopathology, including specific psychiatric disorders outlined in the DSM-5. It is intended for adults 18 and over with at least a fifth grade reading level who are currently seeking mm. mental health services. It was developed and standardized specifically on clinical populations and the authors are very specific that it should not be used with the general population or adolescents. However, there's evidence based that shows that it may still retain validity on non-clinical populations so psycho- psychologists will sometimes administer the test to members of the general population with 
caution. The concepts involved in the questions and their presentation make it unsuitable for those with below average intelligence or reading ability. There is a lot more if you want to go on Wiki. That's where I got that information if you want to read up on more about it. But I thought, I think I'd love to do that. So I'm going to try and and look into that and try that out. Yeah, it's pretty. I mean, this I've never done. I've never talked to. I guess I've done like marriage counseling before years mm-hmm. ago, but I've never done sure. like just an individual therapist. Yeah. And I know, uh, I think there's a lot of like, you're going to go in there and you feel like they're going to kind of Freudian you and yeah. tell you about like why you're obsessed with your mother kind of stuff. But a lot of times <laughs> it seems like when you're in those things, it's just a person listening and letting you talk. Like they're not mm-hmm. going to, a lot of it feels like they're not going to find the the specific issue with you, but they're going to allow you to talk in like what's considered a safe space. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that'd be pretty interesting if there was like a, a machine that could tell you those things. I'd be down for that. Yeah, um, just a quick, easy, you know, wham bam, thank you, ma'am. Here's here's your stuff. I feel that, and they kind of do this a lot with this, these kind of experiences. I feel like there's a lot of tainting that's going on because if you know he told her the rules of the game right away, the mm-hmm. counter is right there, and so each of your answers, you see the counter change. So I yeah. think that would kind of maybe deteriorate the way you make answers. But they're really kind of judge, trying to judge your defense mechanisms. Yeah. So and I know at one point she said something like, why did that go up or why didn't it move? That was a true statement. Yeah, I found that interesting because that was when I think that he asked her, you know, were you – before you entered this trial, and I know this is not verbatim, but were you before you entered this trial, were you going to self harm? Yeah, were you yeah. Entering this trial, going is that what's preventing you from self harm? Do you want to hurt yourself? And she's like, no, and it didn't move. And she's like, why didn't that move? That was true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That this was intense. This was kind of both episodes were were kind of intense um, with all of that. Her whole thing there, you know, she's you know talking about and I'll probably talk about that a little bit later but that was a lot so i don't know that's my number five is just this that that was my first you know thought from this was this analysis and how cool that that would be to have something like that just to get to the Mm nitty-gritty what's wrong with you without having to go through like either and and i think therapy is great you know for people if you can find that right therapist you know that meets your needs and makes you comfortable and helps you that's great because i'm all for it um but to to get just down to it and be like, okay, here's what needs to happen. Here's what's wrong with me. Here's what I need to do. Cause mm. we all just kind of sit there and like, I don't know what the hell's wrong yeah. with me. Why do I do these things or whatever? I mean, the human brain's a complex thing. I mean, mental health is a very like important thing. And I think a lot of people take it, not advantage of it, but don't really pay attention to it enough as they should. Yeah. Um, I mean, in today's age too, you think there's like online therapy services out there where you can find therapists mm-hmm. and do kind of like Skype calls with them and stuff. So, I mean, I don't know if you'd get the full benefit from it, but there might be some kind of safety net there. Like, well, I'm just talking to this person, you know, on the this thing. It's cost me 20 bucks. I'll give it a shot. And before you know mm-hmm. it, you're you know, letting all these emotions that you may have been holding on to for too long. So. Um, that's kind of why I think that this kind of represented as you go in, you do this experiment, you're going in for the money, but in the end you're kind of trying just throwing yourself out there. And, uh, that's at least what Annie looks like she's doing. So that's a, that's a really good number one. Yeah. I like it. What's your number five? So my, oh yeah. Number one, sorry. That was your number five. Uh, so Freudian slip, which is my number five. (laughs) So my number five is simply titled, tell me about your mother. Oh boy, mommy issues. Yeah, so it's a very, uh, you know, you know, she's a super famous therapist, which I think I kind of got, but I didn't quite fully. It didn't. It like the dots didn't connect until this episode. So, Mm -hmm. uh, the new scientist, his mother, is a super famous therapist. She writes tons of books. Um, I love that when she's getting introduced to the the people at the um, research center. She. is basically getting critiqued by the other scientist where she says like, well, I really liked your early stuff. But then when you started getting poppy, that's when it kind of <laughs> fell off for me. She did not like that comment. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that felt very much like how many like bands have you listened to that? Like their first bits like, Oh my God, like you guys were rebels. You were just throwing it out there. But then they kind of go to the pop scene and they're just like, and then you get all commercial. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And this is what she was doing. This is what his mom was doing. But you know, this is a, you know, you start to learn like, okay, well, what was his uh, reason? And again, there's so many Freudian things with that. So like, obviously yes. he's obsessed with his mother, which is a very Freudian thing. Um, he has like a, a sexual, I guess, addiction to the suck bot thing he had. I guess he yes, had a paraphilia. bunch of, 
<laughs> Which is, is that a real thing? I looked it up because that's what she mentions. Paraf- I was like, okay, so it's got to be a thing. Paraphilia, previously known as sexual perversion and sexual deviation, is the experience of intense sexual arousal to atypical objects, situations, fantasies, behaviors, or individuals. Such attraction may be labeled sexual fetishism. No consensus has been found for any precise border between unusual sexual interests and paraphilic ones. That's a thing. Interesting. Yeah, so I know she talked about like he had like these huge masturbation binges, I guess, which, <laughs> you know, you, you never want your mom to realize that because, I mean, like really you could say that's like no. your teen years is your masturbation binge. It's like, oh, my God, I figured all this stuff out. No. This is amazing. And your mom's knocking on the door. Um, Yeah, that's so I've already told this may be TMI, but, you know, <laughs> we have a son. And I've told my I told Tiffany, my wife, I'm like, listen, there's going to be a time. You're going to want to knock on his door and wait for your benefit and his benefit. Just uh-huh. wait. And mm-hmm. she's like, no, no, it's my house. I'll walk in. I'm like, listen, you're going to scar yourself and him. <laughs> knock on the door and wait. For the love of God, please <laughs> wait. Respect the closed yeah. door. And if um, there's, you know, a pause, like before he answers, like if you're <laughs> knocking, like, you know, son. You know, it's time for dinner, you know, and yeah. there's no immediate answer. Don't just go running into the room. Yeah. <laughs> He's taking an awful long shower. Should we go check on him? No. God, no. I'm telling you what, nothing made me more grateful than having a girl than having <laughs> to, like, not have that moment. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had a little brother, so I feel like I had to live enough of that. But, <laughs> um, oh, my gosh, no. You're, you're so right. But the other thing I think is interesting is, I think, uh, I don't know if I'd say it related to this, but it was very, very, like you could see where this guy broke down because I guess his mother and father broke up. Something happened there where he left. Mm-hmm. And he goes on this, this uh, he mentions something about how for three months after he had left, his mother would sit on his bed with him like every night and talk about how she wanted to hang herself. Oh. Now, that I think, I think sometimes too many people think that kids don't, I don't know if they don't think they understand when you say stuff like that, or Mm -hmm. maybe it's like, oh, well, this person cares enough that they'll listen to me, even though they're not mature enough or they're probably not emotionally stable enough to handle those conversations. Mm -hmm. And as a nine-year-old kid, 15-year-old kid, 18-year-old kid, like if your parent says something to you like that, like, hey, you know, I was going to kill myself, that sticks with you and fucks with you for your life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you wonder why this guy's a little messed up in the head. It's like, well, because he had a huge emotional burden put on him at too young of an age. Yeah. Uh, and, you and you know, it seems like he has commitment issues to an extent. You know, that's probably why he likes inanimate objects, because he knows they won't leave him or they won't, I guess, put too much of an emotional burden on him. Right. Um, but I thought that was, you know, you tie, you know, they kind of mentioned like a lot of people like, oh, I'm starting to figure out why I'm the way I am. I think in that episode, we really kind of saw why the the doctor was in the same boat he was is because of those things that his mother, even as a therapist, as you know, one of the most famous therapists in the world, was not taking probably what advice she would share and, you know, kind of semi, I'd say, probably ruining her son's life. Yeah, you can definitely kind of understand why he has the issues he has with his mother. Um, I don't think we, I think we're just getting like a, a broad picture right now. I don't know that we know the deeper Issues, but we certainly got quite a picture. These two episodes, the relationship you know that he has with his mother, um, and it confirmed that that was his mother. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it that was hilarious. I think you kind of understand the the issues he has. And whenever Doctor Fujito was saying, you know, hey, we need to call your mother, and he's lying back in one of those chairs that the <laughs> you know the test subjects yeah. are in, and he's like, like practically spitting and sweating and, and no, writhing in that no, chair no. <laughs> calling his mom <laughs> and it just cracked me up Justin Thoreau is just so fantastic in this yeah, role I mean, I'm glad he's, he's so and Sally good. Field I think has done a great job too as, as kind of playing multiple roles multiple yeah. roles and yeah. it looks like her character in the real world I'm guessing she has like some kind of cancer or something it looks like when she was at her house she was bald like she had her like, was missing hair yeah, yeah, she was wearing that scarf, and she seemed to be, I, I think, going undergoing some type of cancer treatment, like a chemo or something. So, 
Uh, I'm sure we're going to learn a little bit more about that. I wonder if he knows that. I don't know. He hasn't spoken to his mom in seven years. It's probably not. Um, But yeah, and and we find out that uh, Gert is uh, made in the incarnation (laughs) of his mother. So, you know, you kind of have him putting what he's attracted to inanimate objects and making in the image of his mother, which is very uh, Freudian there as well. This, this episode of both of them just dripped with Freud. That's for sure. Yeah, very much. So, yeah, my number five is just tell me about your mother. Oh, my gosh. I love it. Very, very good number five. <clears throat> I'm sure we're going to talk a lot more about that in upcoming episodes. Not that I know anything. I just feel like it's going to go deeper um, with how this episode ended up and her like going into the system to kind of analyze uh, Goethe. I keep calling her Goethe, um, the the computer. So I'm interested to see what happens there. Uh, my number four is Annie slash Arlie. Um, as we got this um, episode, Annie in this new, um, I'm not sure what to call them. Are they memories? Are they illusions? Um, I don't know. You know, illusions. I don't know. Um, I like the fact when she comes out of out of this, she she admits that she's extremely depressed. I think that we could probably kind of figure that out a little bit without her her saying it. But she's you know having you know to say these honest feelings in order to get this high score to remain in the trial because they're kind of they're trying to weed people out right mm-hmm. by you know and analyzing them and, and having them talk about what really happened to them under this experience with the with the B pill. Um, so she admits that she's been depressed and has been for a really long time. She talks about, you know, when she was uh, Linda and Arlie and how important Owen was in all of them and how these connections um, are not normal. Like these memories that she's having is not normal. Like she remembers like not just that moment that we saw, you know, she remembers like the a whole lifetime together with um oh gosh was it bruce that owen i think bruce was one of them yeah linda and bruce that owen was but anyway owen was in both of them but it's not normal for her to remember these as like a lifetime it wasn't just like this little blurb it was like she remembers you know what did she say like being together in seventh grade and the next thing he's there holding your hand as you're having a baby or whatever um she talks about and she mentions patterns um that owen mentioned before and she now realizes that well you know she thought he was just crazy, crazy. And yeah, off, yeah. off off the rocker but now she's not so sure and dr manoray you know he's not quite interested in all of that but he wants to understand why she was dreaming of a lemur a liar and a thief um as we saw in this one we come to find out that arlie kind of represented her mother and how she was and who she was. And that was kind of this yeah. emotional manipulator con artist. And Annie really hates her, dislikes her. And I think that this was a journey. So I think that her journey um, with Linda was to bring Annie face to face with the mother of the man who killed her sister in an attempt to prevent him from being born. Um, and then, you know, she, she, by, by, Confessing all of this and being honest, she gets the high score. She gets to continue to the end of the trial, um, which <laughs> says that she has signs of borderline personality disorder, pathological grief, and intense self-loathing. And it just it it was so sad, and it was so. I, Emma Stone did so great. She yeah. was so vulnerable in that moment. I mean, she was so open and vulnerable. I think probably the most honest that we've seen her. And I think that what really. I find her interesting and why I feel like it's relatable. It's like her character, Annie's character doesn't want to think about anything but the trauma. She keeps taking that A pill. Yeah. And living that trauma over and over again. Why do why would you want to do that? Well, I mean, like you mentioned in the previous episode that was the worst day of her life, but it was doing that gives her the opportunity to see her sister one last time. Yes. But it 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 makes me because I feel like I've done this before like instead of like like it's not quite a coping mechanism I don't think but it feels like when traumatic episodes occur and this is just kind of stuff I was reading off trying to like understand a little bit because I feel like I probably need to understand a little bit myself um it's like when traumatic episodes occur in certain individuals like if it like an attempted suicide physical abuse from others PTSD um anything that causes some sort some form of like 
extreme mental anguish and your brain is not accustomed to it. You go into this defensive mode. It's kind of like when your immune cells are fighting off foreign bodies, you know, to try to uh, prevent infection or something. It's like there's a couple of different things that can happen. You can attempt to bury the memory so you're not experienced because you're not experienced enough to handle them. You can alter the memory so you recall it differently, thereby uh, bypassing the drama. You can completely wipe it out, hoping that you forget it. But I think that you're not really dealing with the, the trauma. You're not healing properly. It can have devastating effects on your psyche. Um, you can go through lots of cognitive disorders like depression, anxiety. Um, and in th this case, Annie, who's torturing herself because she feels like she deserves the shame and the guilt. Um, and that it just becomes this loop and it becomes this default setting. And I think that's kind of where she's at because she's constantly reliving this this harmful event. And I just I thought that was just it kind of opened that up for me thinking when she in this episode was talking about that experience and then talking about this pathological grief and intense self-loathing. And it just made a lot of sense. Um, what did you think about that? This kind of ties into my number three, which was the connections that Annie had in that. And I kind of, you know, like she had mentioned that, uh, you know, like you said, the one person kind of represented her mother, the mm -hmm. lemur kind of represented the, the mother of the guy who um, killed her sister. And she's thought numerous times about like, what happened if he didn't live? Mm -hmm. um, and this all kind of seems to connect into her connection with Owen. And it's kind of interesting because, I mean, you think about if, if you're a person who's in the state she's in, she's kind of alone. She doesn't really have anybody in her social circle. She doesn't have anybody that relies on her. And as there, she was kind of talking about this, I think it was Owen in the 40s uh, era Bonnie and Clyde scene that he had. Yeah, that was fun. That was an awesome, awesome kind of uh, setup. But uh, in there, he kind of mentioned something. I I'm pretty sure it was him, but he says, you know, life is simple as hell until you bring on a partner. Mm -hmm. Which to me, kind of, you know, like with Owen being by himself, you know, with all the stuff he goes through, it's probably a little bit more simple for him because he has nothing to worry about except his specific scenario. Now you bring on a partner. Now you have to worry about yourself and your partner and the whole stuff that you're dealing with because you know it reflects across to your significant other, or your partner. Which mm -hmm. again, you know, you could tie that into the next episode where um, you know the the doctor is talking with his mother, and you know she is putting her pain on to her son as well. So instead of just kind of keeping that to herself, she kind of keeps pushing that down to him as well. Um, I think that's probably more of him maybe than her, I guess, with, with the uh the complication part. But but yeah, I think it's 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 interesting to see that she's the one kind of driving a lot of these connections and a lot of these um memories that they're going through, at least of what we've seen. And so it's it's very, very interesting that that she's the one pushing that when it was really Owen that was kind of reaching out to her initially. So Yeah. But yeah, that kind of ties into my number three. I like it. I like it. There was a flipping of the uh, uh, script here, which I'll I'll talk about here in a bit. Um, I like it. This is such a deep show. It's good. It's fun, but it's a little deep too. Got some weird stuff happening, but it's all good. Um, my number three, just I, I mentioned it already, just a little bit about Justin Thoreau, but that's it's Doctor Mansell Ray himself. I just think <laughs> again, I have to say um, because it was so good in these two episodes, Justin Thoreau's. Um, delivery, his voice, the mommy issues. <laughs> I mean, it was so good. Um, and, and there was, I really like, like I said, the, the scene where she's like, you know, you need to call your mother. And, you know, he's like, no, 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 just twisting around in the chair it's just so good and and you kind of forget that it's him i mean i don't know if it's the glasses he wears it's that like wig he's got on but i love how it's like you kind of i kind of forget anyway that that's him it's like i know who he is and i like his work so i'm familiar with him but it's like i just really kind of he just kind of melts into this character so perfectly and you know he's kind of weird he's kind of quirky he's got issues um but clearly he's like super smart because he's, you know, kind of created all this. You realize more and more now that he's entered the picture and he's back into this, um, you know, kind of supervising or helping with the trial, you know, that he came up with all this. Yeah, he created all this. Work. Yeah. And 
you kind of get, you know, find out a little bit about the backstory and get more information of him. And I just have to kind of toot that horn just one more time. It's just short and sweet, Dr. Mansell Ray or Justin Thoreau specifically in his portrayal of the character because it's just brilliant, I think, yeah. overall. Yeah, I mean, our first interaction, he was in that like uh, old, you know, high school self-help video. And then the next time we see him, he's got a suck bot on his wiener. So it's, uh, you know, I didn't think this is a character I could be like, wow, there's a lot of range on this guy, but there is a ton of range with him in this and he's doing a great job. Well, and I love because this, this has, this is a very unique character because you definitely get into a little bit of drama. He had some really great lines and and some comedic moments, which I'm sure I'll find in my notes when I get down to that part. But I realized like, the range that he has. And I think people kind of forget, did you know that he wrote the screenplay for Tropic Thunder? Uh Uh-uh. I didn't realize that. He did. He wrote that. And he also wrote wrote Iron Man 2, which I thought was super interesting. And he wrote Zoolander 2. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, and then you, you know, look at that along with all of his different um, acting roles and, you know, where he goes from playing something, you know, kind of funny and silly to where he plays something in like The Leftovers, which is very dramatic, um, you know, and then you have something like this. So I I think that, you know, he deserves a lot of credit um, for his range because I think... I think that's great. So I just I had to mention that because I didn't realize I don't know if I ever heard that before and it was just something that kind of melted into my brain and I forgot about. But it, it, when I heard it again, I was like, well, that sounded familiar. But yeah, that's amazing. Um, what a guy. Yeah, so I think anyway. to tag into that, I would probably add a little bit like, you know, we mentioned his range. I think Emma Stone's range in this has been awesome. She has done multiple characters. Wow. Superbly. You know, she's played a Long Island you know, nurse, she's played this, you know, Bonnie and Clyde type character, like this, you know, other person. And, you know, I'm, I'm super excited to see where all this, this plays out with her. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. And Jonah Hill too. His, you know, I would say his characters are, are not quite as like far from, like, I don't think, I feel like like Emma Stone's playing very different characters. Mm -hmm. I feel like Jonah Hill is, they're different characters, but there's not like a huge, change like you, know, you could probably like how he acts was the you know the gangster guy mm-hmm. probably is very similar to his other character um i mean there are a little bit of difference but not like the range that emma stone had i feel like she's just it's true yeah very very different characters she has had very different characters i think they're both doing a really great job i really liked jonah hill in that role in the uh, 1940s when yeah, he was playing yeah. ollie there at the mansion i mean that was just a you know um Oh, he was quite a fella. That's all I'll say. <laughs> anyway, that's my number three, short and sweet, Dr. Mantle Ray. All right. So my number two, uh, I'm kind of starting to wonder at the, this is basically at the end of episode six when we see Owen escaping, not really escaping. He's pretty much getting let out. And I'm starting to wonder, like, is all this even real? Mm-hmm. So as he's walking out, he's talking to, to Gert. And just like when he was on the phone call, she says something's like, oh, well, if you leave, I'm going to kill them all. And mm-hmm. Owen has to be like, wait, what'd you say? Well, I mean, if you leave, I'm going to cure them all and you'll be the only one that's not cured. I know. It's like the whole popcorn. Exactly. Popcorn thing. Um, and he does. I don't think he ends up leaving. He comes back. So it's, I, I'm still trying to. And I feel like we talked about this in the earlier episodes. I feel I hope that this show doesn't end in, in kind of like the Castle Rock sense where it's like, well, what the fuck happened? Yes. You know, this is one where I kind of hope at the end you kind of figure out what it is. You know, I don't want this to be like the Buffy episode where you think she's in an asylum, but she's not, but she could be, but you're not really sure. And you mm-hmm. have all this fan theories that it is fake or it is real. Like, I want I want this to have an ending to it. Yeah. And again, I don't know if they're doing a season two on this. I know IMDb has like 2018 dash. So yeah. there could be multiple episodes. Um, so I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Do you think this is something that is actually f- happening parts of it are happening none of it's happening i i this episode or these two episodes sorry really make me question that because we kept seeing these strange things happening where Annie is getting like Dr. Fujito is manually pulling Annie out because they don't like them two together. Oh, they're, yeah. like, they're not mm-hmm. supposed to be sharing the same space. This is not supposed to be happening, which I think just tells you that it's not just chaos. Like Annie was saying that there are these connections or that Owen and Annie have the, you know, this connection 
um, that Annie was like, no, you know, you know, she's got an answer for everything as to why he feels that they're connected. Um, and so she's, you know, manually pulling her out of, of that and separating them. And you see her, it was interesting because she get the first time I think it happened, I, I kind of lost track of all the times that it, it kept happening when she would like get pulled out, but then she'd pop back in and stuff. But I think it was the first time she was like still in character as Arlie. And then she sees she's, you know, she kind of wakes up and she, and she's still in character and she's not like Annie in the chair. And she sees like what I presume to be a vision of like her younger sister, you know, there. And I just, I don't know, just seeing that. And then other things that have happened, um, I don't quite know if this is real and what's what's real, what's fake and and the illusions that they're having and what is their connection and and does it go deeper? Did they know each other before? Like was when when Annie and Owen met in the the room before the when they were both going to the, onto the trial and they're in the waiting room to be called in and to be tested and all that stuff, was that the first really the first time that they met? It yeah. makes me wonder. Um, and what is real. So I don't know. And then of course, Owen talking about like, I don't know what's real, you know, um, and I need to be medicated and he can't tell what's, what's, what's real or not. I don't know if it is, but I'm like you, I want, I don't have to have every single question answered, but I do want a definitive ending here. I want to know something and I haven't heard anything. I've been looking at the news. I haven't seen anything yet. This is supposed to be a limited series. Um, so I don't know that they've planned for a season two. I'm okay if they don't. Um, yeah. And if they did, I would think that it probably wouldn't be the same character. That's what I was thinking too. Because I mean, these you know. are two pretty big actors yeah. that do a lot of stuff. So I figured this was kind of like a one and done type of scenario. But you never know. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to tell. You never know. Um, especially with, with Netflix and what, what people have on their plate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I I don't know what to believe now after watching these two episodes and what's real. I mean, we, we had a freaking talking koala bear. That's true. Purple koala bear. We had our own <laughs> rocket in this. I know. I mean, I get that the world's kind of different. There are some, you know, archaic looking technology, but also some advanced technology that we don't have. I and mean, we don't have super smart computers that can have feelings and be depressed. <laughs> so I wonder if we're going to um, come back to that talking koala. I really hope we do, but I'm not sure if uh, I feel like that's going to be like a thing that's just sprinkled in and we'll never hear about it again. No, it's it, it was just dropped in there like a little purple koala bomb. And now <laughs> it's it's done and, and we're moving on. But yeah. So I don't know. It's kind of, I don't know what to believe. It's interesting though. So what do you I have like for it. your number two? My number two, the, I thought what was really interesting here was the shift that we got in the attitudes. We have episode six, I think brought on the shift in Owen where he's the one that's like withdrawn and closed off. And Annie is the one that's now excited about their connections. Like she's asking him questions and, you know, she's like, I believe you, we do have these connections. Why do we keep, you know, she's asking him, do you remember, you know, we were married. And he's like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, And she's all frustrated because he won't talk about it and stuff. And his analysis with Dr. Mansell Ray was like the most depressing and bleak yeah. thing I think I've ever heard. And my heart broke, you know, for him at that moment. And, he, you know, he thinks that what's wrong with him is not that he's sick, it's that he doesn't matter. Yeah. And I was, I mean, I wanted to cry at that moment. And we had that, what was the, um, oh, I, I wrote, I meant to write down what, Dr. Mansell Ray said after this long, you know, m- monologue from Owen about, you know, if, you know, hey, you know about, um, oh, it's the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And if that happened to him, nothing would be different. And you get this whole thing about him uh, not mattering and stuff, and which was just absolutely heartbreaking. And then what does Dr. Mansell Ray say? I don't have that in front of me when he was like, um, Okay, you know, and he just he goes to print out his analysis. I can't remember now what he said, but anyway, I just I like how there was that shift and then we got to see Owen's analysis and what happened and it was freaking heartbreaking. What did you think about all of that? What what was your take on it? Uh I you know, again, same same kind of thoughts you had on it. It's it's 
it's a character that's trying to find himself in here. And, and I wonder if, you know, whenever he starts seeing these connections with Annie, because he sees his brother in one of those two, his brother plays like a ghost. And so I wonder if that was kind of like, you wonder if <laughs> Annie's playing her actual like character in these, you know, I guess for a better term, these dreams, but Owen's just playing himself. Like she's actually the person and, the Owen is just playing the person in those connections. Mm-hmm. And so as he sees these things happening, he gets a little bit nervous thinking that something's going to pull him out of this make-believe world. Because there was the quote somewhere along the lines where they talk about, you know, living in your own fantasy world. That was the whole Don Quixote uh, secret chapter idea. Yeah. And, you know, he kind of talks to her afterwards. Like he pretends he doesn't know anything about what they went through because he he spills the beans a little bit where he says he's scared to, go back to the moment where his brother ends up killing that hawk he had. Mm-hmm. So that seems like that's one of the more traumatic moments he's had in his life. So I'm guessing it might evolve around that. that he's scared that like these make-believe worlds, he can kind of do whatever he wants, but at some point it's going to get more real and it's just going to kind of crush him even more. Yeah. I don't, I mean, how fucked up was that? No wonder he's got, no wonder he's so messed up. I mean, cause we find out, we, we kind of questioned that when we saw that episode when they were all at dinner and he was telling the story about the hawk and how it attacked the gerbil. And then mm. they were like, and what happened to the hawk? And they were like, oh, we set it free. Right. Yeah. And then Owen just kind of looks at him and then you find out, no, that's not the kind of f- what, what they meant by free. You know, his, his brother killed it with a hammer um, freaking horrible. No wonder he's he's got issues. Did you notice also there were a lot of people that we saw before? They have a lot of people. Not only are Jonah Hill and Emma Stone playing multiple characters, his driver or butler in this ep- or in the um, episode five was his ad buddy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah. I I suck with faces, it seems, but but yeah, that's like I've noticed a little bit of that. Like, oh, that dude looks so freaking familiar. Well, and I didn't notice until my second watch. Whenever I was able, like, for my first watch, he seemed. I was like, oh, he kind of looks familiar. But I was just like watching the episode and just kept watching, and I didn't dig too deep. In my second watch, then I was like, damn it, I I know that's he looks <laughs> familiar. Who is that? And I I found that it was his ad Betty. And then there was, and I don't know her name or what her name was in the episode. In in the the same episode in the 1940s seance, um, one of the women that was, um, oh, I can't remember what her dialogue was and what she said, but her voice is so distinctive. She was sitting on the couch. Um, that was um, Annie's ad buddy, the one that was talking to her about, you know, can I use ad buddy to buy a oh, ticket yeah, yeah. to like Salt Lake City? And that was, um, that was her sitting on the couch. And then we had Dr. Muramoto was, um, during the dance sequence, yes, he was yeah, there with Dr. The lady doctor, I'm going to keep saying Dr. Mantle Ray and I'm going to have to talk, uh, the female Dr. Mantle Ray, the older Dr. Mantle Ray, uh, was with him. And, and what about that dance sequence? Oh we my have God, to kinda, that was great. Wasn't that awesome? <laughs> Just, I mean, that's kind of like, like, there's a lot of great, like, funny stuff in this episode. There was the dancing. There was, like, uh, Annie asked, like, well, why is the book so, like, why is the chapter so small? He's like, oh, well, it's so small because people were a lot smaller back then. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not, what does that mean? I know. Um, uh, but, yeah, great. Uh, the only other, I guess it's more of a dark humor thing, I guess, but it's the next note I had on there was... uh the bedside manner of the doctor when he's talking to Annie and as the, the conversation ends, he's just kind of like, Oh, well, I'm sorry to hear about your sister being crushed to death and then oh burning God. alive. It's like, dude, like a little bit of bedside manner. I know. I love dark humor and there is so much in this show that it, it, it does crack me up. Yeah. He's like, I'm a friend and this is normal. By the way, <laughs> I'm so sorry to hear about your sister being crushed and then burned to death. She's just like, what? <laughs> it was all really great. Anyway, that's that was my um, number two, was just the shift in attitude um, that we saw between Owen and Annie, how the tables were kind of being turned a little bit. Um, and I just found, found that kind of interesting um, to kind of see how things were kind of being turned and how you can see how, you know, these – going through these trials are affecting them. Annie was like, you know, I feel so much better. 
you know, like I'm, you know, like she's getting to the heart of these issues and stuff that she has and she's feeling better. It's kind of making Owen feel worse. He's saying it's dredging up all of these, you know, old memories and taking him to dark places again. And he's wanting to leave and stuff. And, um, so it's just, I think, interesting to see how that's, that's going to continue to play out. I mean, it's so much that he wants to leave, but he ends up staying, yeah. um, which he thinks is to protect, um, Annie, which I thought that interesting, what was interesting about that story while we were talking about the story with the hawk, I was like, you know, I wonder why he brought that up and why he felt he needed to point that out. And it's almost like he was telling her, like, he he wanted to protect, he thought he was doing a good thing because the hawk was, like, injured or sick or something. Yeah. And so he took it home to make it feel better till it got to, you know, um, where it could be on its own and so he could release it. And then, of course, the thing with the gerbil happened and his brother smashes it with a hammer. And it's almost like he was telling Annie that the hawk would have been better off had he not tried to save it or yeah. protect it. Like, he thought he was protecting it, but in the end, him saving it killed it. Yeah, And it's like, is that kind of something that he's afraid is going to happen with Annie? Like he's staying there because he thinks he's going to help or protect her or save her because of what uh, Gerda told him, you know, like I'm going to kill them all. Mm. You know, I'm going to keep her as one of my own. I'm going to kill them all if you, if you leave. And of course, then she's like, I'm going to cure them all. Um, You know, does he really think that, he's going to do her a favor by trying to save her or protect her. I yeah. thought that was kind of interesting. I wonder if it's the reverse of that. Does he see, does he see himself as the hawk in this instance? Like she's <laughs> going to protect him and save him. And he's worried that because he doesn't matter, he's going to end up having something happen. Now she's going to have the burden of that on her. Maybe that's a good point too. I hadn't thought of, thought of it in those terms, but that's a really good point. Hmm. That he's like the bad seed or something that yeah. in her efforts to help him, it's somehow going to hurt her. Because I know after he tells her that story, she's like, well, I mean, odds are we're going to be connected so we can, I'll protect you from that or we can protect each other kind of thing. So mm-hmm. interesting to think about for sure. Yeah, it's deep. Mm-hmm. Shows deep. I like it. Awesome. So that uh, was that was my number two, right? Yep. What was So, so my number, number one, oh, my number two was the... Uh, uh, what was my number two? It was the uh, is this real? So oh, okay. my number one is really short and sweet. Um, we're gonna get like a D and D fantasy realm episode. Ah, uh, yeah. The very last few seconds of this, we see some pointy elf ears. We see what looks like a huge <laughs> battlefield, like a Lord of the Rings or Pathfinder. So uh, I'm really excited to see like the different genres they've been doing on this and. I feel like this would have to be an ops, absolutely fun TV series to be a part of because you're not doing one mundane like top like thing. You're you know you're you've got your main storyline, then you get to do like you know '40s gangster, then you get to do Long Island lady, then you get now you get to do like this whole like uh, fantasy realm thing. So I'm really excited to see where that turns up. Um, I'm yeah. pretty excited for that. So very very short and sweet, but I love that they kind of leave those little teasers. At the end of these I episodes. I know. It was, I, I love that we're doing the two episodes a week so we can kind of get some satisfaction and not have to wait so long to see what happens next. And and when it ended there, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, I know, we're right? cutting off right there. Um, can't watch again until next week. Um, so that was a bit of a bummer, but also I'm really intrigued. Yeah, that was interesting. I definitely got a, a Lord of the Rings vibe from that. And I thought, oh, we're going to get um, Emma Stone as an elf, it looks like. Oh, I'd be she down for that. Some, are you digging the elf thing? You digging the elf thing? You're going to buy uh, your lovely wife some cute little pointy ears. And- <laughs> Cast a spell on me, sweetie. <laughs> Why not? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens next on that. You're not the only one. Well, my number one is a computer with feelings. Oh, good, good number one. Goethe's depressed. We find out she's been given feelings that they, you know, Dr. Fujito decided to give her a little bit of empathy. So it, it was like a, a defense um, or like a safety mechanism to help the folks in the trial as they're going through these things. If they felt like they were um, getting into a troubled place, it was to keep them safe. She could feel empathetic and kind of pull them back a little bit. So it seemed like her intentions were really good. But now... 
you know, it's kind of went too far, and now she's depressed over the death of Dr. Murimoto. Because they were because, having a very inappropriate workplace. <laughs> and you can take that however you want. I mean, we kind of got that right when he, um, yeah. you know, he he talked to her before he had died, and you kind of thought, oh, kind of weird. What's going on there? And then when she found out, Goethe, the com- this computer, uh, found out that he was dead, she was crying, um, and she was leaking some form of mm-hmm. liquid from her uh, internal computers i don't know i'm not a tech person you can help me out there sean but she was leaking some fluid like she was crying um and now we know like you said earlier that there is a connection between goethe and greta greta we know that we found out this episode is a licensed therapist uh her early work we found out dr fujito said you know was like a blueprint uh for the computer uh, based on her early work before she got to be what she is nicely saying a sellout, <laughs> which she was not, you know, uh, she took offense to. Um, but she only features, Goethe only features studies and learnings from Greta's earlier work um, before she was so popular. I was thinking, I got a, a, a real female Dr. Phil. Yeah, um, yeah, I could see that. Vibe from from all of this, what people talk about Dr. Phil. Anyway, um, so we find out around the same time that, James started the trial series for his pills around the same time, the seven years ago when he had stopped talking to his mother, um, that he develops this pills uh, for which Goethe was developed to accompany the main goal of the pills. And Goethe is basically, I think, to eliminate the need for conventional therapy and a therapist. So he's basically making his mother obsolete. That was such a, uh, like, I think poignant, like, little bit like it wasn't more than like a line or two uh-huh. but basically it's like listen my mom like screwed up my life i'm gonna screw up hers which yeah you know the sweet irony of this is by the time this probably goes out to mass production like, he gets all the accolades for it if his mother does have cancer she may be gone before she even sees any of that yeah yeah it, it was just really interesting like because his mom's a therapist and he created te- a technology and medicine to make his mother irrelevant and now like he's done all of this, and now seven years later, he's begging his mom to come back <laughs> to come help mom. him fix his computer because she's the only one that can like speak to and get to the feelings of this computer. So That's it's just funny. it's super interesting, like how this is all turned around. But I found that really interesting that he he's like so messed up. He thinks you know because of his mother, and his mother's so awful, and he clearly needs some type of therapy, yeah. and he is. You know, he, he's really doesn't, he does not like, like his, his, he's like making, he finds what his mother does distasteful, um, completely. So it's like, he's wanting to completely eliminate the need for her, um, and her success. And, you know, so he's thinking, because that's basically what they're touting these pills as like, these pills are going to fix you. You're going to be happy. You're going to be in a better place. It's going to fix all of your issues and all your neuroses. And, you know, you're not going to have all those hangups anymore. So I just found that really interesting that that was, you know, kind of what the goal with all this. And now after his mom, what he sees is messing him up. Cause I don't really know how much I buy into the whole, you know, how much you can blame. I think there's only so much you can blame your parents for <laughs> once you get to a certain age. Yeah. Yeah. For That's sure. just me. I'm not saying that, um, you know, the, you know, I won't get into, you know, a whole lot of stuff about, you know, how parents can really mess up their kids, but some of the, um, surface things, you know, about how, people blame their parents for certain things and that's why they're so messed up. I feel like you can only hang on to that for so long. Um, now the deep stuff like abuse and things like that, that's one thing, um, in the, in those deeper issues. But, um, you know, some of the surface stuff, like, you know, my mom, you know, um, made me walk to school every day in this, you know, in the snow or in crappy shoes or she didn't buy me all the nicest things, things like that. You can go so far as to blaming your parents, that superficial stuff. But I think um, I would, I would say that his mother, Talking about hanging herself probably goes a little bit further than that. I'd, I'd say that's definitely, in my opinion, a form of abuse. Yeah, I feel like that's definitely abuse. So he's, I think, got definitely some legit hangups or whatever. But um, I just thought that was super interesting. What was your take on all that? How we got all of this information in this episode? That that was my main note was the the fact that 
you know, he's doing all of this. His life work is to essentially ruin his mother's craft to prove that what she does is a crock and science can take that over. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't know if it's because he feels like um, maybe it's a way for him to gain his mother's love. Maybe it's a way for him to show his mother up. Um, I think we'll find that out later, but it's definitely intriguing and definitely kind of, uh, you know, uh, an interesting scenario that like, Hey, your computer's sad and it can't fix itself. So it has to go and get a therapist a real life therapist. So even the science, this machine you've created needs the, I don't know if you call it an art or the science of, but you need an actual physical therapist to be there to fix it. Um, I know. It, was, it sounds so ludicrous when, when Dr. Fujito was like, she's depressed yeah. and you know, she needs to talk to someone about her feelings. And he's like, it's a computer. Yeah. <laughs> it's a computer with feelings, sir. Yes. Computer with feelings. That's awesome. That's all that I had for my number one. Sweet. Well, yeah, my big number one was just the um, learning that we need to have a therapist for the computer therapist. So what are some of the notes you have? Some notes. So I I just, I think this show is so brilliant. The the performances, I'm just going to, as a general note, you know, Emma Stone, her performance in that analysis scene, it's like just damn. It 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 was so emotional. I really teared up. And even during Jonah Hill's, I was starting to tear up until, you know, um, Justin Thoreau kind of cut him off there. Yeah. Uh, in his perfect comedic timing. He has such good Justin Thoreau had so so many great uh moments where he had this great timing that was really great. I love how the it's like it's not over the top weird, but like you said, it's poignant and not random. It's what I really dig about this show. It is weird, yes, and there's some weird things happening, and you're kind of like, what the hell is that all about? What's happening here? What the hell does that mean? And where did this purple koala come from? (laughs) But it's not over the top. It's not too unbelievable. It's not like there's dancing unicorns or anything like that. Yet. Um, You know, yet. We might see that in the next couple episodes. Who knows? But um some some good stuff. I love the dance sequence. We talked about that. I love the whole idea of the seance being held in a secluded mansion in the nineteen yes. forties. <laughs> that they're driving some, you know, down in the woods. Like so, I'm thinking like like upstate New York or something. Yeah, you yeah. Know, this you know is the kind of vibe that I was getting. I, I just loved that whole idea of that. Um, all those seances kind of scare the hell out of me just a little bit. Yeah, that, um, that whole like supernatural stuff kind of creeps me out. So man. Uh, didn't didn't like it. Um, Bobby, who was Ollie's driver, even made a note to say that the two of them being together is serendipitous. Mm-hmm. We keep hearing that over and over again about these two and this connection. Um, and he made that um, observation as well. We did learn, I already mentioned, Owen and Annie are, are not supposed to be sharing their illusions together. They were trying to pull them apart. And they kept fighting that the whole time, yeah. too. Every time uh, Dr. Fujito, Fujito was like yanking her out of, of that, she was popping right back in and it happened several times. So that I thought was kind of interesting and I think kind of buys into the whole fact that they are connected. Um, Olivia, we saw this Olivia in episode five in the, the seance scene or that whole episode. Was that Owen's Olivia that was hired to be his girlfriend? Ooh, good call. Maybe, yeah. So that was interesting. Because he was the one that turned her down here. Yeah. Um, the Nine of Hearts, when Ollie was doing, Owen Ollie, you know, we had, they play so many characters, uh, was doing that card trick. Mm. And the butler chose the Nine of Hearts. And um, Annie is number nine in the trial. And the hearts made me think of their connection together. Oh, good call. Yeah, that's a good pull. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I was thinking. And what I, was, cause I was like, well, why nine of hearts? Why that? And then I was like, oh, well, she's number nine. And then hearts is like this connection thing. Um, I like this line. There were so many great lines and great comedic moments. I like the copulating with software. <laughs> <laughs> that's a new one. Um, when he tells her, um, you don't have to call me, sir. We have shared intimacies. Yeah, yes. Uh, could you imagine that's like somebody you've shared intimacies with? That's how they explain like knocking boots. That Well, that's my new phrase for sex. I'm not, you know, we haven't had sex. We have shared intimacies. I'm, I'm stealing that. Um, the whole weird appro- inappropriateness 
with his mom, Dr. Mansour Ray with his mom. Again, very Freudian. (laughs) Weird. I mean, did you, she, they kissed full on the lips. Yeah. Like a little too long. It was weird. And did you see him put lip balm on? Before she walked in, like he knew it was going to yeah. happen. Well, then his uh, his assistant kind of like didn't he have like some he had uh, lipstick on? Yeah, like uh, it just yeah. Ew, kissing on the. I know some families are like like that's not a thing for them, but I've never been like kissing on the lips with anybody but my significant other. That's just me. I understand other families have other things, but that's I've never never done that. I, I try to be respective of people's traditions and what they do and try not to be too judgmental. Uh, again, I say try. Let's say I'm never judgy, but um, I'm trying like, okay, well, that's their thing. Just because it's not your thing doesn't make it wrong or anything like that. But I just get a really – I just don't feel it's appropriate to – and, you know, someone that you are a close relative of to be mm. kissing full on the lips for that long of a time that you were blood yeah. related. I mean, if you are, if especially that is your. Age, uh, especially at the age of like 30 something. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Maybe that's just, I'm sorry if that offends anyone. That's just my opinion. I just feel it's a little, it's a little strange. I don't know. I love the whole European thing, the kiss, kiss the sides of the cheeks and, and that oh, whole yeah. thing. And, you know, I think that's lovely. Um, but the kissing on the lips, I feel should be for your partner, your significant other, you know, whomever you are close to in that type of respect. Anybody just, that you share intimacies with. <laughs> anyone you're sharing some intimacies with is I think, and, and I hope that's not the, that that's just too weird. I don't want to go. I don't want to think about that with his mom. It's just weird. But like you said, this whole thing was like dripping with Freud and all of this. Again, another um, funny line was when she asked, uh, Dr. Mantore was asking her son, James, how many subject of yours ended up catatonic? And he says, zero, roughly. <laughs> yeah, I caught that too. <laughs> Wasn't that great? And then when she is like, okay, so let me see if I get this straight. And she like basically summarizes the whole situation of like why she's there and what what they want her to do. And he's like, that's exactly the situation. Yes. You know, like (laughs) as weird as that sounds, as ludicrous as that sounds, that's exactly the situation. Like, I'm not going to lie about it. That's just how it is. Um, So many great lines in in this. And most of them were um, from... Justin Thoreau, which he's just fantastic. I'm really digging him in this uh, series, that's for sure. So that's all I got for my notes. What do you got? Um, mine was just that main one with them, and I think you've hit on all the other ones. So uh, good couple episodes. Excited to see the next two for sure. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I can't wait. We're recording this episode a little bit late uh, this week, which means we don't have to wait as long. That's right, yeah. To watch the next one. So that's kind of because I waited a little bit to watch these. I waited a little bit longer since we were recording. Like, cause I didn't want to sit on it for too long. So we don't have to wait too long to watch the next yep. ones. I'm ready. We're really getting into that because this was what, five and six. So we were doing seven yep. and eight. So we only got two more weeks of this and then we'll we'll be uh, finished with it. Yeah. Ten episodes. Oh, dang. This has been a fun ride. I'm yeah, totally yeah. digging this, this show. It's been a fun ride. Super awesome. Well, great top five. Great notes, Sean. Really great one. So now we're going to jump into our listener feedback. These are letters from the supercomputer. I'm calling her Gerta. G-R-T-A. All right. So first one comes from Jeff Allen. So again, loving the quirkness of these episodes. These two weren't quite as good as last week's, but I'm really intrigued and can't wait to see where everything goes. Quick observation. James asked Azuma, how many McMurphys have there been? I'm assuming this is a reference to Randall McMurphy from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, who, spoilers from a movie from the 70s here, ends up lobotomized and catatonic. I did not real. I did not make that catch until then. I wish I would have. But yeah, the one flew over the cuckoo's nest is a great book, very short read, and a really good movie too. Oh, I love one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Mm. I didn't make that observation uh, right away until I saw that feedback. Um, but I was wondering this same thing: like, what are they talking about? How how many McMurphys have we had? Um, so that would make total sense, right? Because she asked him how many of your sub or test subjects have gone cata- mm. catatonic. She she blatantly asked that question. So I think that would make sense. We don't quite know. Maybe we'll find out in a future episode. One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest was so good. Love that. Thanks, Jeff. Great feedback. 
Um, we got an email this week. It says, hi, thank you for covering this show with your podcast. Rima, I've been a longtime fan of yours as I listen to the Walking Dead cast also. Well, thank you. Um, I think that these episodes were my favorite of the series so far. I liked Ollie and Arlie and their antics at the seance. Sally Field's introduction into the show was great, too. Like how they slipped her in the seance and then went into her creepy, inappropriate <laughs> relationship with her son. I agree. This show has been a roller coaster and it's made me both laugh and cry. Annie's grief over the loss of her sister is so raw. I burst into tears when she picked up the tiny smoking Jeep. Yeah, oh, I did that, too. that gave me some goosebumps. I know. Owen has been shamed and ostracized by his own family and has no sense of belonging. I feel like these two need each other and not in a romantic love story. Very glad the show is not making it to be as such, but both of them need a connection to someone who gets the other. Sorry for the rambling. Thank you again for your, your discussion of this show. Carrie with an eye. Wow. Great, great email. That that pointed a lot of good stuff. It did. Lots of great observations. I agree with everything that you said. It has been a roller coaster. I have, I mean, there's deep, dark humor here. There's some really great comedic moments. There's some great connections. I mean, it really, I mean, don't we all want that connection? That's why I feel like this whole show is about are these connections um, and what we're all kind of wanting, right? We're all human mm-hmm. and, and to be human is to want connection and I feel like that's the deeper thing that we're kind of getting from this show. So I'm glad you're digging the show, Carrie. Keep writing in and letting us know um, what you think. Um, We also happen to have a voicemail from our good friend, Steve Brown. Hello, Sean and Rima. It's Steve. And uh, (laughs) finally, something that makes sense. But that was a funny line from Owen and uh, exactly like (laughs) you, episode uh, five. And they kept switching between never dies and never deans or the never deans are never dies. I don't didn't, I don't know if we're going to go back to that storyline or not, but that was kind of cool. Um, those creepy twins. And, uh, every time they were dancing, all I could think of was, uh, is it fresh? Is it crisp? Uh, crisp. Yeah. Um, and that episode <laughs> had a very Alice in, in Wonderland kind of vibe to me. Um, I love the fact that they kept finding each other, and, and I thought to myself, ah, oh, they're meant for each other. And the room where they do the post-interviews looks a lot like the like the Voight-Kampf test from Blade Runner. You remember that? Because they would examine the, the subject's eye. The other one, this larger structural issues was uh, kind of interesting again. Owen's problem is he wants to matter, and I... I I like that because there's a lot of us that we want our lives to matter for something. And uh, the artificial intelligence it was very interesting. Again, when he's speaking to her towards the end and she says, I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to cure them all. Um, and that creepy kiss from his mom the, to the doctor was just weird. Anyway, uh, love these two episodes. The <laughs> ending with Annie uh, with the ears. Uh, I thought that was kind of cool. I, I want to see what happens there and if Owen and Annie are going to be together again, or if we're going to have separate storylines, can't wait to hear what you guys said. Have a good day. Uh, I'm glad somebody else is excited for some Emma Stone elf action. (laughs) You're definitely not the only one digging Emma Stone in the ears. Is that a thing? I didn't know that. I I guess, I mean, Emma Stone is certainly cute, but is there an elf ear? There's got to be a fetish for that, right? Um, Yeah, I'm sure there is. Yeah. Got to be a thing. I mean, I don't have Elf Fantasy Island 1 through 9 or anything on DVD. (laughs) I've heard it's a thing, but. (laughs) You just totally outed yourself. (laughs) No, I didn't know. You know, everybody's got a thing and that's okay. If you dig it and it's not hurting anybody. Yeah, exactly. Just have fun with it. Why not? We're, you know, it's all good. That's what I say. That's some really amazing feedback for this week. I thank you one and all for, you know, and going down that rabbit hole with us, uh, with this show. It is so much fun. Um, So thanks, everyone, for taking the time to write us in. Keep it coming. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. All right. So next week, we'll be covering episodes six and seven for Maniac titled Sessi Nest Pass Undril and The Lake of the Clouds. 
Wow, that was quite different titles there, wasn't it? Yeah, hopefully that I <laughs> did that one right. That was pretty good. Pretty good shot. I like it. Um, good. Uh, it's got to be what French? I can't do that. I'm glad you read that. Not me. <laughs> uh, we're really excited for you to join the trial with us. And until they pass out the drugs, you can follow us on Twitter at Strange Cast. You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash And you can check us out on Instagram at strange underscore indeed underscore pod. You can email us at strangerthingscastpod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the TV Time app. You can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts like House Podcastica at podcastica.com. Go out and leave a review for Strange Indeed or the other great podcasts at Apple Podcast. Lots of great podcasts out there for sure. And speaking of great podcasts, make sure to check out Sean and his other podcast, The Language of Bromance, that comes out every Sunday. Oh, yeah. And I swear Richard and I don't kiss on the lips anymore. Anymore. Um, (laughs) Cut that out. (laughs) That was a Freudian penis. Uh, and uh, if you are in the Chicago area on November 27th, Richard and I for Language of Bronze will be doing a live show at the Beat Kitchen uh, at 8 p.m. So check out the Beat Kitchen's website. You can get some tickets, and there will be some links in the show notes as well. Sweet. If you want to help out Strange Indeed a little bit, we also have an Amazon link in our show notes. It doesn't cost you anything extra. You just click the link, do your Amazon shopping, and then we just get a little bit of a kickback for it. Yeah, um, holiday shopping's coming up, so really good time to, because I don't know about the rest of y'all, but I do probably about 90% of my shopping online, not just in day-to-day life, but holiday shopping. Uh, Who wants to fight the crowds? So use our Amazon link to do your shopping, and like Sean said, doesn't cost you a thing. All right, well, that's our show, episode 59, Exactly Like You and Larger Structural Issues. Until next time, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And Jeff Allen is strange indeed.